Sisters and brothers, let me share two quick things before we begin. Um, number one, actually three things. Number one, let me just remind you of questions up here. If you can use a QR code, uh, you just open your phone's camera and hold it over that. A uh, link will pop up for you to submit questions. Please submit those questions. Uh, questions from the last talk, questions from this talk. Please do submit questions during the talk. That'd be great. Uh, number, number one, I just want to plug United We Pray. If you have heard about United We Pray before today, could you raise your hand? Okay, excellent. Um, I just want to talk about this quickly. This is a ministry I began that's devoted to helping Christians pray and think about racial issues. Uh, I began it in the wake uh, of the killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. And what happened is in the wake of that, I could not find resources on race that were biblical, clear, helpful, and hopeful. Biblical, clear, helpful, and hopeful. Um, and I would just turn that to you as a question. This is something I often ask people. If someone were to come up to you and say, hey, where can I get biblical resources on race? What would you tell them? Most everyone doesn't have an answer to that. And we are trying at United We Pray by God's grace to be an answer to that question. We have a podcast, we have a book we've talked about, we have a website, uwepray.org, that's the letter U, W-E-P-R-A-Y.org, uh, and I pray this website is like a treasure chest for you uh, when it comes to race. So friends, if you've had a question about race, chances are we probably have a podcast uh, or an episode about that, so do check out United We Pray, and if you'd like to know more about United We Pray, uh, I'd love to talk to you afterward. Austin Sudar, our executive director. Austin, you just want to stand up so people know who you are. Uh, Austin is the executive director of United We Pray. Just wave, and you can talk to him. All right, that's the first and second and third thing. Uh, two more things. Uh, number one, I'll just start this talk by saying roll tide. Uh, just kidding. Uh, number three, I really have not picked a side. Uh, despite, people have tried. People have tried. People have tried. The Alabama fans have taken care of me. That's all I'll say. Uh, um, the last thing I'm going to say, it's really easy to talk about prayer. It's really hard to pray. But let's begin our time together with another word of prayer. Father, we can talk about grace and truth, but if you don't help us, Jesus, we will not make any progress. Father, as we consider this huge problem, this mountain of racial strife and what we might do about it, Father, we confess with Jehoshaphat, we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. So we come to you not as adults who have it all figured out, but as your children who need help and wisdom and who believe your promise that you are happy to give it to those who ask. And so we ask for it in Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, as we've said, it's good to be back home here with you. And as we speak of home, you know, I talked about mom in the last session uh, I'd like to begin by sharing a memory uh, I have uh, of her. Because as I, you know, I just joked with the Moors, I'm new to Birmingham. Um, I'm new there. <clears throat> it was just two years ago that I became lead pastor of Iron City Church. Uh, so Ryan, I can empathize with being, you know, new pastor of a church. Um, I'm new to Birmingham. I'm not new, unfortunately, to racial strife, to ethnic conflict, and neither was my mother, who was a resident of Washington, D.C., you all know, member of this church where she raised me, 
our family. Mom is the godliest woman I know. Very dignified, very wise, very meek. And I remember when I first began talking to Iron City Church about being their pastor, I went to tell mom about it. She knew my pastoral aspirations. And I said, mom, I think I found a church. She said, that's great. That's wonderful. And mom would do this little clap. Y'all surely have seen this. She said, that's great. That's wonderful. I said, yeah, um, it's in Birmingham. And mom, who y'all know, very, very meek, recoiled in horror. She said, oh, Isaac. I told the Lord I would never step foot in that city after what they did to those four little girls. Mom was old enough to be one of those girls. And so with that 1963 16th Street Baptist Church, Birmingham bombing, the 60th anniversary of which was just a few weeks ago, with that bombing still so fresh in her mind, mom let me know she would never visit Birmingham. Now, I remember texting a mentor of mine, pastor named Mark Dever over here at Capitol Hill Baptist. Uh, he knew I was going to tell mom about Bur- Birmingham, and I texted him right after mom said she'd never visit. I told Mark, we're off to a great start over here. And he said, off to Nineveh you go. Mom did text me later that, that night, uh, the day I told her about Birmingham. She said, she said I love you. I'll support you wherever you go. And be sure to leave my grandkids here when you leave. (laughs) Sisters and brothers, mom said she'd never visit Birmingham, and sadly she spoke more accurately than she knew. Because really soon after I moved to Birmingham, just three months into my time there, mom, who was in good health, we had made, made plans to come visit me and my family in Birmingham. Uh, she unexpectedly died. Two years ago, this day, the accident. Uh, she went home to be with the Lord shortly, shortly thereafter. Uh, she, uh, shortly thereafter the accident. She had spoken about never stepping foot in Birmingham, in that city. And though she didn't know it, it was indeed the Lord's will for her to step foot in a better city. A heavenly one. One prepared for her by God, as Hebrews 11 would say. Mom is in that city now. But here we are. Still in our pilgrimage there. Traveling through a world, a nation marked and marred by so much racial and ethnic division. What can we do about that? Friends, in this second talk, I'm going to try to get real practical and answer the question, what can we, what can you, a Christian who has been saved by the power of the gospel message, which is the power of God for salvation, Romans 1.16, what can you now do to combat racism, to do justice, to love mercy, to work against division in your church and serve your neighbors outside your church regarding this issue of ethnic unity and strife, what can you do? This is a question I try to answer squarely in my book, Talking About Race. In this book, the larger question I'm trying to answer is, why is it so hard for Christians in America to talk about race with each other? Right? In the last talk, I gave you the bones of that book, but there is actually more flesh and blood to that book that I want to share now. You see, 
the way I tried to answer that question, why is it so hard for Christians to talk about race? The way I tried to answer that is by telling a story. Because stories are powerful. Stories stick. Just ask Nathan the prophet and David the king, right? 2 Samuel 12, Nathan tells David a story. And David gets all worked up, all invested before he even realizes it's about him. Nathan is like, dude, you're the bad guy. Stories are powerful. That's why I think a book like Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Sons is so forceful in the history it recounts because she tells it through the lens of story. And so in talking about race, I tell a fictional account of a racial tragedy, a racial tragedy. Often in the race conversation, we don't define our terms. We're often using the same words with different dictionaries. And so often the race conversation feels like we are building in Babel. Like we're trying to build something, maybe even something good, like the unity of our church. And yet we are speaking different languages, talking past one another. So let me define what I mean by racial tragedy. By racial tragedy, I mean an event that evokes past or present ethnic tensions and that is worthy of lament regardless of where you stand on these issues. A racial tragedy is an event that evokes past or present ethnic tensions and that is worthy of lament regardless of where you stand on these issues. And the specific tragedy I focus on in my writing is the shooting of an unarmed black man, an unarmed unarmed image bearer. And I illustrate how five different characters respond to this tragedy. These characters include a white, politically conservative brother who feels like he puts his foot in his mouth every time he speaks about race. And then there's a black brother who's one of few minorities in his predominantly white church. You have an Asian sister, a third character, who appreciates the race conversation sincerely, but feels like it's often simply limited to issues between blacks and whites. And she's saying, hey, I'm cool with this conversation, but, but, but could we expand it a bit? Is there any room for me at the table? Fourth, you have a white sister who is very passionate about these issues. Some might call her woke. And she seems ready to tear down every institution, including her church, because like all the other institutions, it appears to be a bastion of white supremacy. And finally, you have number five, their pastor. The pastor over all these folks. Who was just trying to hold his church together. And Ryan said, amen. And so I wrote a story, a parable really, about a fictional racial tragedy I tried to provide a pastoral word for our racial moment. And I tried to provide a pastoral word because I fear the race conversation has lots of prophets, but few pastors. And we need to look no further than to our toxic, worldly conversations about race, which dishonor our Lord, to see the truth of that statement. So that's the why behind talking about race. But talking about race is not written only for talking's sake. As if talking will fix everything. Friends, the scriptures call us to love, not to, to not love in word or in speech, but in actions and in truth, 1 John 3.18. And so I hope, that, I hope thinking about the difficulty of our present-day racial discourse would lead us to do more justice, to love more mercy, to walk more humbly with our God. And sadly, I am confident we're going to have plenty of opportunity to do so. 
because racial tragedies aren't going away. The next viral video of a racial tragedy won't be the first of its kind, and unfortunately, until the Lord returns, I fear it won't be the last. Friends, don't you remember when Ahmaud Arbery's case was brought before the nation, and it wasn't long after that until George Floyd's was as well. You remember when we learned about these tragedies, basically back to back. It was like a one-two punch for our nation. Of course, on one level, tragedies like these and the inevitability of them, this isn't surprising. As Christians, we know something is wrong with this in this fallen order. As Christians, we have a category for sin and humans doing really terrible and unjust things. And beyond that, as Christians, we have a hope of sin ending. So we know racial strife has an expiration date. As Barbara Robinson would say, glory be to God. Until then, beloved, until the expiration date, what can you do? It's a good question. Dear sisters and brothers who want to love their neighbors are asking it. What can you do? The word can in the question is crucial. In this talk, I'm not saying thou must do such and such. This is a really important caveat. Right? We talked about this last time. In this talk, I'm not seeking to bind everyone's conscience to a specific course of action. As a pastor, I don't go beyond Scripture in telling my people what they must do. Right? There is a difference between the church gathered and the church scattered. So while maybe you should do things in your own individual calling and capacity, that doesn't mean your whole church collectively should do them. And this might be why, you know, Ryan doesn't get up on a Sunday and say, hey, church, in light of this racial injustice, we're all going to meet up on Metzrat Road and march to Washington in protest. That said, what I found is that while folks appreciate their conscience, their conscience not being wrongly bound, they are often still left wondering what positively they can do. Like, okay, I, I, I get it. You're not saying I have to do this, but I just love some, some handlebars. Some starting place. Where can I begin? As a Christian trying to respond faithfully in light of ethnic divisions and strife, what can I do? And I want to dignify this question. Because sometimes folks will give people a hard time for asking, what can I do? People are like, don't ask me. That's white privilege. You should figure it out. But beloved, Christians want to do good works. Hebrews 10, 24, we gather in our churches to stir one another up to love and good works. Romans 7, 4 says we've been saved to bear fruit. Titus 2, 14 says Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Beloved, I'm confident in the people, the people in this room Know that while we are not saved by good works, we are saved for them. So if you're asking yourself, what can I do, especially when racial tragedy strikes? Let's say there's been a shocking event in the news. What can you do? Let me give you 26 suggestions. The best part is you think I'm joking. Number one, here we go. We had 11 last talk, 26 this talk. 
the rest of the afternoon will be easier. Number one, pray. And I think this one will be surprising too. Pray. By yourself, with other saints, pray for structural change, pray for individual change, pray to have the same moral clarity today that you have on past evils like slavery. That's one of the reasons going about the work of racial justice is so hard. Things aren't quite as clear as a whites-only sign above a drinking fountain. So pray for clarity. Friends, we're not going to get clarity in our own strength. I've read tons about race, and things can still be unclear. We need divine help. Pray for clarity. Pray for the oppressed. Pray for the oppressor. Pray for your enemies, whomever you perceive them to be. However you pray, whatever you pray, just pray. Weep, lament, be angry and do not sin. Put Jehoshaphat's prayer on your lips. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Second Chronicles 2012. Number two, discern whether it's wise for you to watch the tragedy. Discern whether it's wise for you to watch the tragedy. I make this point mostly with minorities in mind, but my guess is that if you're hearing this, especially in the wake of a racial tragedy, you've already seen a viral video or whatever its equivalent would be. But consider if watching future tragedies is wise for you. You may feel like you need to watch or re-watch a video, but that's not necessarily true. Doing so may cause you unnecessary depression. Right? We talked about it. Guard your heart above all else. So exercise your freedom in Christ. You may be emotionally or spiritually tapped not everyone is equally equipped to dive into each tragedy. Pray for wisdom and ask for counsel as to whether watching a tragedy would be good for you. We don't want to ignore suffering, but neither do we want to immerse our hearts in it. Right? Proverbs 4. So, discern whether it's wise for you to watch the tragedy. Then, number three, pray some more. Number four, study what happened. Study what happened. If you do decide to look further into a tragedy, read the most credible sources you can on the matter. Don't tweet before you seek information. I've been guilty of this. Friends, take your time researching what happened. There is no rush. Then, number five, pray some more. Number six, examine yourself and repent if necessary. One kind of prayer is especially helpful, confession. So see if there is any false way, any hatred, any prejudice within you. Confess it to the Lord. Ask the Lord to forgive your hidden faults or unintentional sins. The Psalm 19 verse 12 and Psalm 90 verse 8 speak of hidden faults and secret sins. Friends, the psalmist's posture is not one of self-justifying. He's not sitting there saying, God, I don't have a racist bone in my body. Or look how many of my friends are minorities. Look how far we've come. No, declare me innocent from hidden faults. That's what the psalmist prays. So examine yourself and repent if necessary. And then, number seven, pray some more. You see, every other one is prayer. Number eight, educate yourself on the topic of race. Educate yourself on the topic of race. Before seeking what you can do, study what has been done, which is to say, do some homework on how we got to this present racial moment. Studying the past of our moment 
will help you discern this present moment. Friends, read history. D.C., it is pregnant with racial history. If you're wondering what books you can be reading about race and talking about race, I have a whole chart of suggestions for good resources you can read. I think a lot of them are out there. Uh, And one bonus about good books is they're like conversation partners. And they're very nice conversation partners. They put up with our silly questions. So if you, you know, don't know a lot of African Americans, you can at least have a conversation with Frederick Douglass by reading his narrative of a life of a slave. Beloved, educate yourself, educate yourself on the topic of race. And then, next, pray some more. Austin, can you bring me a pen, man, real quick? Thank you. Uh, or Ryan or whoever is closest, I don't know. Bless you. Thank you. I have a note malfunction. One second. That was number nine. Pray some more. Number 10. Number 10. Be okay with not being able to fix everything. Be okay with not being able to fix everything. Too often when we ask, what can I do? We are we're essentially asking, how can I fix it? Uh, sometimes, however, the point isn't to fix something, but to faithfully endure it as we groan along with the rest of creation. Beloved, groaning is inescapable until glory. One ugly fact of a fallen world is this. Not everything can be fixed. The book of Ecclesiastes makes this really clear. Ecclesiastes uh, 1.14. I've seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all this is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. Friends, not everything can be fixed. Nevertheless, we can rest in this truth. Our job is not to completely eradicate the world of racism. It is to faithfully follow the one who will. And vengeance and perfect justice belong to him. He will judge fully and finally, and there will be no miscarriage of justice with his gavel. Beloved, you either do agree with me about this or you will. Of course, I'm not saying that we shouldn't seek temporal justice now, however imperfect. We should seek temporal justice, but we should also rest, knowing that perfect justice will, not can, not may, but perfect justice will come. What did the apostle Peter write, sisters and brothers? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Or, you know, as they say in the black church, God may not come when you want him to but he's always on time. In light of racial tragedies, remember, you're not God. So be okay with not being able to fix everything. And then, number 11, pray some more. Number 12, think about what you can do in your specific calling in life. Now think about what you can do in your specific calling in life. Are you a pastor? You know, Ryan, elders, what, what does all that we've talked about mean for how you lead this congregation? Are you a homemaker? How might you teach your kids? So parents, real quick, in talking about race, there's a section about how you can talk to your kids specifically about race from some wise parents whose children are, are much older than my own. Uh, and just because I know y'all are curious, the Adams, we have four kids ages six and under. So now you know how to pray for us. Um, 
There that is. All of us have different roles in networks, and we'll have to think about how to use them. Friends, racism is a monster with many heads, and there are many faithful ways to get after it. Not all of us have the same role, and that's okay. I think the civil rights movement is really instructive on this. Not all of us had to be Dr. King. Some of us were making sandwiches. Some of us were organizing. All of us were praying. So let's think about what God wants us to do. And then number 13, pray some more. Number 14, regardless of how you feel about a racial tragedy, reach out to a brother or sister who may be grieving. Regardless of how you feel about a racial tragedy, reach out to a brother or sister who may be grieving. This step could get messy. And why wouldn't it? After all, love is messy. That said, I think this step is important. Before we elaborate on it, I want to clarify the larger point behind the step. The point isn't to contact someone for the sake of contacting them. I say this especially for white sisters and brothers who may be wondering, when a racial tragedy strikes, should I contact that one random friend I haven't spoken to since the fourth grade? Maybe, but probably not. Beloved, the point isn't to check a box and say, okay, I've contacted someone and then move on in life. Rather, the point is to help foster an environment, a culture, especially in our churches where tenderness and sympathy on racial matters is normalized, expected, and valued. This is something we've been, Austin and I have been talking about more. A lot of churches, it's easy to have racial reconciliation doctrine. You agree Jesus died for all humanity, but you don't have racial reconciliation culture. You don't have a culture in which that is actually valued and embodied and carried out in the little nuances, the intangibles. And you can tell, because everyone here is going to agree, burning crosses in people's yards is wrong. Uh, Telling people they can't sit in this section because of their color of their skin is wrong. But when you have a, a racial reconciliation culture, what happens is you overhear a comment one one member made to another member that you know was racially insensitive. And instead of putting all the weight on that one member, the minority who received that comment, you go over and you say something to the member who made the comment. That's culture. It's harder to do, harder to see, harder to pick up on. Anyway, I will spare that sermon. We can talk about that more. We want to help foster an environment, especially in our churches, where tenderness and sympathy on racial matters is normalized, expected, and valued. Checking in with folks you know and love is a wonderful way to build up that kind of environment. For when one part of the body suffers, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, all suffer. It's a profound reality. When one part suffers, all suffer. Now, when you reach out to folks, recognize that not everyone will want to be contacted or will have the same opinion. When you reach out, don't demand a response. When you reach out, don't ask the person what you can do or ask them to explain all of what's going on to you. So keep in mind the general questions like, hey, how are you doing with all this? While well-intended, that may put pressure on someone to describe the indescribable. So, okay, this point is about reaching out to people, and so far I've told you how not to reach out to them. So let me state the matter positively. When six Asian women were shot in Atlanta in March 2021, I still lived here in D.C., I checked in with some of my Asian sisters and brothers 
anew at Capitol Hill Baptist Church saying, this is what I said, I don't know how these shootings hit you, and you don't have to tell me or even respond, but I love you, I'm praying, and I'm here if you want to talk. No pressure. And friends, I share this not to boast, but to, to provide an example. And you know what? My Asian sisters and brothers bless me with powerful conversations. And you'll notice this point about reaching out to folks isn't the first action step on this list. That's intentional. It's not because I'm trying to add another rule to a conversation that has so much law and so little grace. It's not because I expect imperfect people to speak perfectly. It's because taking some of the, the, the action items we've already talked about, before you ask your question, that will help you ask your question in a more informed and loving way, I promise you. You do 1 through 14, or 1 through 13, you'll do 14 better. All right, that was 14. Number 15, pray some more. Number 16, believe. Believe. When a minority tells you about their experience. When someone in the majority tells you about their experience, believe them. I'm not saying you have to affirm everything they're saying or that you have to swallow it wholesale and change your worldview. I'm simply saying give people the benefit of the doubt. Right? So, y'all have raised me. Uh, I've been married now. Um, uh, Megan and I are celebrating 10 years of marriage, so I'm sure that still qualifies me as I'm newly married in some of your minds. Uh, and one thing I've learned is that, you know, when Megan has a hard day, it just doesn't seem to help when I'm like, did that really happen? Are you sure? You know? 10 years in, I'm like, Man, that stinks. I'll hug you. Um, all right, that was, that was the marriage advice for this marriage conference. The point is this, don't put hurting people on trial and make them justify their pain, which does nothing but double it. Believe them. Love believes all things. That step is so simple, everyone in the room can do it. Believe them. Number 17. Pray some more. Number 18, keep listening. Keep listening. It is easy to be like Job's friends during tragedies. One way to keep from being like them is to close your mouth. You want to sin less. Speak less. Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Beloved, our world puts the pressure on you to say something. Right? I'm sure you've seen, maybe you've held up the signs before, silence is violence. But while the Bible says we should speak for those who can't speak for themselves, Proverbs 31, 8, the Bible also says there's a time to refrain from speaking. Ecclesiastes 3, 7. So, don't give in to the world's pressure to always run your mouth. Um, my, you know, my mom would often tell my mom, oh, this was a, fra this was a Janism, we called them. Or her phrases, her wisdom in our home. Uh, mom would often tell me, Isaac, child, you don't have to say everything you know. Friends, just because you tweet something, that doesn't mean you care. And just because you don't tweet something or say something, that doesn't mean you don't care. 
Live before God as your audience, no one else. Number 19, pray some more. Number 20, support those already doing something. Support those already doing something. Instead of reinventing the wheel, as we're, we're prone to do when asking, what can I do? See who is already doing something. How can you get behind their efforts? Can you support them financially? Can you support them in prayer? This point helps us to see that we're not in this battle against racism alone. We need not only ask, what can I do, but what can we do? Number 21, pray some more. Number 22, get involved locally. Get involved locally. One effect of social media is that it makes us want to be omnipresent. But are there real flesh and blood people suffering around you whom you can get to know, whom you can serve regularly? Is there a neighborhood you're tempted to walk or drive by that you could somehow love? Is there a church in that neighborhood you could encourage or support? Is there a local high school or crisis pregnancy center you can help? Is there a YMCA here in, in, in College Park you can get involved in, a big brother or big sister mentoring program? Friends, where are you serving? Where are you serving? Let's not be those who are known digitally, but not locally. You know, I fear in the age of the selfie, people on Instagram might think we do acts of justice and mercy, but do our neighbors think that? I mean, your next door neighbors, do they think that? Do they receive that? Beloved, I find that the people who are serving locally, their consciences are not often troubled by what they can be doing. They're like, I'm just doing all I can. So get involved locally. Then, number 23, pray some more. Number 24, remember, rest in, and keep sharing the gospel. Remember, rest in, and keep sharing the gospel. Christian, you have something so many people don't. Hope in Christ. We want this world to be as good as it can be. But we know that even if it was, there is still a better world coming, one that lasts forever, one that is ruled by a king who was crucified and who was raised to save his people. Share that hope. Tell someone. It's easy to love Jesus and be slow to speak about him. Tell someone. Then, number 25, pray some more. Number 26, commit. Commit, commit. They're repeating some combination of the steps listed above when there's not a high-profile racial tragedy in the news. So friends, we don't want to be merely reactive to problems, but to proactively cut them off. You know, we, want, we, we, we don't want these things to catch us flat-footed. We want to be ready. So there you have it, 26 steps, not rocket science, but I hope they serve you and your family and your neighbors so that the next racial tragedy, that it won't catch you flat-footed. And sisters and, <clears throat> sisters and brothers, I know I've been talking about racial tragedies and events, but really the entire state of affairs and ethnic and race relations is its own tragedy. You know, part of what makes racism so sinister is that it and its effects are so subtle. I often liken Jim Crow, Jim, Jim Crow laws to lit matches. So someone can say, hey, what racism are you talking about today? Those laws are off the books. The matches have blown out, and to that I say, sure. 
The match has been blown out, but the house is still on fire. You know, I've only lived in segregated Birmingham for a couple years, but I know that I don't have to drive far west or far north to know that the house is still on fire, to know that the damage is not done. It's compounding. It's rolling. God help us. Some of us were so used to seeing the house on fire that we're not, we're, yeah, the house is always on fire. But some of us are realizing that house is on fire. God help us. And I mean that as a prayer. So we're going to have a time of prayer later. We have the panel next. Brent next. When do we have next? Snacks next. Praise God. All right. We have snacks next. Uh, so we'll do that. And then we will come back um, for our time of prayer. Let me pray. Can I pray for us? And then we can go for the snacks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for your grace. We pray that we would be motivated and empowered by grace to love our neighbors really well. When there is tragedy, amid the tragedy, help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Snacks are out yonder. Yeah. Till 11 o'clock, thank you. Till 11 o'clock. Thanks, Terry. Let me just grab it.
Jesus.